Uh, quick one here, what is the difference between Christian counselling and normal counselling? Uh, I get asked this a lot, so shall I just, yes, yes, I will just answer this for you. Um, just sit myself on the panel. Um, basically, uh, you have secular counselling, which is a profession that people are trained and accredited as counsellors. And that is a discipline called, that's counselling. And of course, you have people who do that who are Christians. So they are Christian counsellors. And there is a website called the uh, Association of Christian Counselors. So you can, if you want a Christian counsellor like Lorna was describing, you can go onto that website and you will find a Christian counsellor. Uh, then, of course, you have people who are trained counsellors who aren't necessarily Christians. So they are counsellors who are um, um, yeah, doing that as a, as a job. But then there is something called Christian counselling, which is basically a different model of counselling. So it's, it's a different discipline, if you like, and it's counselling that's based on biblical principles and biblical um, yeah, modelling, if you like. Uh, but most people would feel happy going to somebody who is a trained professional counsellor. And as Lorna said, if you're a Christian, sometimes it feels easier to go to somebody who shares your faith. Does that help? I hope. Uh, now, on to these really great questions. These are questions that we felt were really practical. They're, they're the sort of questions about how we cope when it really, um, when, I'm trying to think the rubber hits the road, that's what I'm trying to say. So, I'm going to say them all, and then you can just explore the answers, as it were, or the responses. How do I keep going and pushing through when I no longer think I can? I know God loves me, but sometimes I doubt it. How do you support someone who is struggling with mental health without being unhelpful or pushing Bible verses on them? And related to that, how do we use the Bible to tackle anxiety and depression? And then these are slightly longer, but they're very much related. When you're in the depths of a mental illness, it can be hard to look towards God for reassurance or find strength to find faith in yourself, let alone in another. It feels hard work. Everything feels internalized and focused on you and your faults, and it can be difficult to remember that God is there. How can you advise someone who is struggling to reach out to God? How can we be helped and encouraged in those situations to speak with God or start a conversation that encourages those to seek his presence? And again, related to that, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 3 to 5 or chapter 3, verse 5, I should say. And that goes, Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. But during the darkest of times, it can feel so lonely and unbearable to understand how God can provide this for us. How can we see, feel, or open ourselves up to this as a real possibility that God can do it? So, yes, I know that I've said a lot, but um, do you want to just respond to what you've heard, panel? <laughs> I think um, there's a lot in there, isn't there? But <laughs> I was just 
thinking about some of those questions and, and coming from a Christian perspective, from a faith perspective as, as believers. Um, one of the things about mental illness is that people who suffer with mental illness at any sort of, you know, on, anywhere in that spectrum quite often feel that they don't have um, any choices or any control in their life, that that's maybe take, been taken away from them. They've lost something. Often there's a real sense of loss and quite a big sense of grief. Um, but actually, as Christians, um, we, we can choose to believe um, God and take him at his word. That choice is never removed from us. And um, there are other choices we can make as well as sufferers, but one of the things I think it's really important to do, and it does, in, it does engender a little bit of personal responsibility, which is something we don't always want to think about, is that actually we can choose to take God at his word. So when we say things like, I know God loves me, but I, I don't feel it, or I feel lonely, and I, where is he? I can't see him. I, I, what do I do then? And, and what I would say in that moment is, in those moments, you make a choice to stand on his promises. Because actually, we are standing on a rock. And when we're mentally unwell, we feel like there is nothing underneath us. But God talks about his everlasting arms, that they are underneath us. And he, he, talk, he gives all these images of, of foundations and roots and, and solidity. And when we feel that we're in free fall, God isn't, and he is there, and he is solid, and he never goes. And that is a choice we have to believe that or not to believe it. So when we think, oh, I don't have any more choices, that isn't actually true. And one of the most important choices we can make is to choose to believe what is true over the lies that we have learnt to live with or have told ourselves or been told by other people. So seeking out the truth is really important and the Bible is absolutely stuffed with it. So finding those verses that speak of God's faithfulness and speak of his endurance and speak of his love and the way he treats us and sings over us and rejoices in us and longs to redeem us, those are the things we have to start really gripping onto when there feels like there's nothing else. Can you remember, I think it was I don't know, I think it may have been last year, there was an advert or something on the telly where it said, it was about mental health, and it said, it's okay not to be okay. And I think actually, you know, for me, this last year, I've always thought I've been quite a strong person, but I've felt the closest I've ever felt to having a panic attack, waking at five o'clock in the morning, not knowing what the day's going to hold. And I think, I'd just say to everybody here, it's absolutely fine as Christians, as British people with stiff upper lips actually forget that. It's actually all right to say, I feel rubbish, and tell somebody about it. And when you've told somebody, I know it's difficult sometimes, but go and tell your GP or, or tell a good friend, but just getting that off your chest can be just a step in the right direction and starting to get um, you know, on the road to recovery. So as Lorna said, she you know, she's rewrote those texts 20, 30 times that evening, but once you'd sent it, that was the beginning. And, you know, that's really important, I think. Mm. So one of your questions was about how can I help or support somebody who's mm. struggling without making things worse? Um, well, I guess supporting somebody who's struggling with their mental or emotional health, particularly someone who's profoundly depressed, is really hard work. 
Um, and just as people have articulated already, when you're in the depths of despair and really struggling and you feel alone, um, you can project that onto other people. So one of the first things to appreciate, I think, is, is that if you're trying to support someone um, who's struggling, um, it'll make you struggle. It'll be really hard work, and you may feel that you don't want to do this. You might feel that they might push you away. Um, it might be really hard. They might not return your phone calls, your texts. They may not want you to visit. But probably one of the most important things that you can do is just simply hang in there with that person. Just be present to them, and I think that's probably the most important thing that you can do. Don't forsake them, um, because it's really hard work. You'll feel useless, you feel you should be doing something more, um, but just hang in on in there. Make sure they're eating, you know, try and do some practical stuff with them. Um, listening, listening's really, really important. Um, active listening, so, you know, listen to what they say. Uh, help them know that you've, you've listened to what, what they've told you. Um, Talking is probably not always the best thing. Don't give advice, just simply be present, listen, and don't forsake them. And I think that goes um, a huge way, actually. Just a couple of things. Um, I've been having a wonderful email conversation uh, with someone who comes to this service, um, and I've got their permission to share one or two of the things that they've said. Um, and I'll just sort of group them under two headings. The first one is, is, in a sense, how do we keep going, especially when things are really hard? Uh, and this is the advice. Um, find people you trust uh, to talk to and share things, uh, because keeping something to yourself kind of grows in you over time. Uh, be with someone who can advocate for you when you find things too tough. Uh, so find a really good friend. Um, they talk about the importance of exercise and fresh air, if you can possibly get it. Uh, Lorna talked about journaling. I think quite a few people would also say how important it is and how helpful to write things down. Um, it's just a way of getting them out of your head uh, and a way of you understanding what you're experiencing. Uh, this person says, um, Charlie Mackesy's The Boy, The Mole and The Fox. Fantastic. Um, despite being a children's book, the sentiments and illustrations have struck a chord with our society. Uh, so if you haven't got that book, get it. Um, this person says, audio books. Uh, during some of my darkest times, a friend would send me their recording of each chapter she read to her children every night. And then she would listen to it herself. She says, it, makes, it made me feel safe and familiar and predictable. And then lastly, sleeping or being awake at night can be very lonely. Try a nightlight. This gives us the comfort and reminder that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then just a couple of things on supporting others. Um, first one, know the difference between empathy and sympathy. Uh, there's a fantastic bit on YouTube uh, by Breen Brown on that, if you want to look that up. But the difference between sympathy and empathy, really important. Uh, think about the way you offer help. Try statements that don't require the person to know the answer. Questions like, would you like a distraction, uh, can be really helpful. Uh, and then if you don't know what to say, let's say nothing and just be beside them. I think many of us, uh, are terrified that we'll say the wrong thing um, and we'll make it worse. I remember in about 15 years ago, somebody in the church I was at then, um, their husband died and they were absolutely distraught. And one of the things that made their grief all the harder was that they used to see uh, Christians from our church walking towards them along the high street. And when the Christians saw this lady, they would walk across 
to the other side of the road mm -hmm. to avoid having to say things to her because they didn't know what to say. It's completely understandable, but of course the message they were giving uh, was uh, we're ignoring you and isolating you in your grief. So if you are worried about what to say, anything, I'm just gonna, anything I say is gonna be stupid, then sometimes just being with somebody, and actually as Luke said, listening is much more important than being the fountain of, of good advice. Mm, thank you. Thank you, all of you. Do you want to say anything more about how we use the Bible? Because I think what we've touched on this, we've heard already this evening, um, there are Bible verses that actually can make you feel worse. <laughs> and obviously there are Bible verses that can make you feel better. But how, yeah, how, do, you, how do we sensitively and helpfully use the Bible? As sufferers... Um, I think it's really important for us to find verses that, that really do help and that, we, that we, we understand what they mean and, and, um, and keep them about us. Like that, those, those words that, you know, for Lorna, it was be still. Um, uh, there's, there's all sorts of beautiful imagery, isn't there, in the Bible about the way that God rescues us, the way he, he you know, gathers us under his wings. All those, there's all sorts of stuff about um, his love for us and, his, and the comfort that we can find. There's also loads of verses about people really wrestling where they're calling, crying out to God. Whatever is an expression of what you need to say or is what you need to hear, then keep it about you. Have it around you. I find worship music really, really helpful. Um, and, I, and when I find that it changes the atmosphere, if I listen to it, it changes the atmosphere where I am, but it also changes how I feel. And it lifts my eyes um, up to God. So, um, you know, resorting yourself like that, I think can be massively helpful because God's word is living, isn't it? It's active, so it does stuff when we claim it and when we speak it over ourselves and over the people we love. And, and I think that's the same as friends of people who are suffering. You know, if, if sending them a Bible verse isn't going to be helpful to them because they don't have faith, we can still pray it over them. You know, in the dark, we can, we can pray for our friends. The power of prayer, you know, moves things in the heavenly. So don't forget that. And, and the same as sufferers. We can pray. We can, God has really, really broad shoulders. He can handle our anger. He can handle our despair. He can handle our dashed hopes and our broken dreams and our sadness. Um, and actually, he, he knows, and he sits in that space with us. So tell him. Tell him how you're really feeling. I was just going to say, I think um, that like Rosie says, that we often have lots of verses around ourselves, but I think before, for me certainly, before I share a verse with someone, I would always pray just that God would really give me sensitivity because you just don't know quite where that person's at. And sometimes you can, people can feel a bit bashed by, you know, verses or um, Bible passages shared by somebody who's seemingly okay and, and, with, uh, and not low. So I think for me, I've learned just pray and I, and I try and listen really carefully to what the Lord's saying. And if he, and I, he always tells me, no, don't say anything or shows me how to share something. Great, thank you. Just very quickly, I think, you know, the Bible is our friend here. It's not the enemy, um, you know, and it's full of amazing truth. 
uh, I think, some ways to engage with the Bible. Uh, lots of people have heard me talk about uh, an app called Lectio 365. I think so sometimes there's, there's a helpfulness in hearing somebody else read a passage and then very briefly explore what it means. And sometimes if we don't have the resources to do that ourselves, uh, then listening to that read uh, can be very helpful. I completely echo what Rosie said about music. I think music touches a part of our brain and our heart uh, that sometimes words alone don't. And so there's something about listening to the, the scriptures sung and celebrated in song, uh, which is really powerful. And I think the thing to remember is the Bible is full of people who are struggling. You know, I, can't, I can hardly think of any instances in the Bible where for any length of time things are happy and good. <laughs> no, I really can't. You know, but it's full of people who are struggling and who in their struggles have found that God is more than reliable and have found that he is a God who saves and redeems people and situations. And that doesn't always happen instantly. Uh, it does sometimes and other times it takes a lifetime. But it, the Bible is a story of redemption, of things that were broken being fixed so why wouldn't we go and read that book when we're broken? That just reminded me something very, very quick about redemption. Um, there's something so beautiful about the way that God redeems. That is his, like it's his MO, isn't it? He redeems. And, um, and often when we struggle with our mental health, there can be long periods of time that we feel have gone to the dogs. You know, sometimes we just feel like, nothing happened during that time or or all the things that happened were dreadful and it feels like a waste a real waste of time and I remember uh, walking down the road one day and I wasn't actually talking to God although he was eavesdropping I was talking to myself and I had spent years and that is not an exaggeration I've, I had struggled with my mental health since I was five so at this point we were talking about 35 years of of real, you know, pain. And, um, and I said to myself as I walked down the road, what a waste of time. I.e., I have worried and worried and worried for years about things that didn't happen or haven't happened. What a waste of time. I was angry, actually. Not self-pitying, just cross. And God spoke so clearly, I, I stopped walking because it's not often I hear him audible like that. And he just said, you have walked with me since you were a little girl. No day with me is ever a waste. And I realized in that moment that, that the way God redeems us is that he is there in those seasons. And they are worth something. Even though we don't want them, we wish we'd never had them. And God wishes we've never had to have them too. It's not part of our, his perfect plan in the beginning. But he uses them, and he will redeem them. And if not now, in heaven. But I do believe that nothing is wasted. And there are things he will use from those seasons that will be useful to you in other times in your life when you are not in that place. Believe me, he can use every second of that time. It will not have been wasted. Really quickly, just on thinking about um, using the Bible, I think um, if you're supporting someone, it can be really easy to sort of think, oh, must think of a supportive Bible verse to give that person. And of course, we all want to do that. But 
actually, of course, the Bible is it's the word of God. It's useful for us who are supporting people who are struggling. Um, and, you know, we've, we've just finished fairly recently a sermon series on loving God, but loving your neighbor. We've used the Bible to learn more about what it is to love your neighbor. Um, you know, we are loving our neighbors, aren't we? we? We are called to be the hands and the feet and the ears of Jesus, and if necessary, the voice as well. So the Bible is obviously useful for us in supporting other people without sort of passing it on quickly and wanting to give someone a very helpful Bible verse. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. I just, can I say one more thing? <laughs> so um, that psalm, Psalm 13, was it? Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. I can't think of an uplifting verse, but just reading through some of the laments of David are mm. really, really resonate because, you know, we feel like that now. And, um, mm. and I think it's really helpful sometimes to read through his, how he calls out to God. Mm. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. So just to move on to sort of more church-related um, questions. Um, so maybe, Simon, you want to pick up on a couple of these. Um, somebody mentioned whether we should have a mental health minister in church. Um, somebody else said, how should the church engage with the national mental health crisis, as which we are all very aware of? Um, and then this is really more a comment, but it's good for us to hear this. I am really glad the church is choosing to address this. In my understanding of how to address mental health, there needs to be a culture change in the church and maybe structural change too. I believe that C.C. Winch is genuinely trying to address this. What are the actual practical plans to address this? It can't just be saying this is a safe place and the lives of church leaders and members looking the same. Thank you. Uh, great. Gosh, there's a lot there. Um, let me start off with that. Um, mental health minister in church. I, I don't know. I mean, many of the staff here at uh, Christchurch have a pastoral dimension uh, to what we do, but we'd be the first people to say that we're not experts. And so I think the key danger for me would be giving any impression uh, that we have expertise. Uh, there are lots of people sat to my right who do, and there are lots of others available. I mean, I think the more promising route actually is the whole idea of, you know, GP chaplaincy and stuff like that, I think would be much more uh, promising. What, what, we, what we as a church, particularly a large church in a city can do, we can do several things. We can provide community. And I think community is a really good antidote uh, to isolation. Uh, and uh, is where a lot of healing takes place in friendship with people that support us and love us and uh, pray for us. Um, when it comes to how we should engage more widely, um, I, I think uh, we can do lots of advocacy, uh, particularly on, the, on behalf of those who are most vulnerable, and that we can do what we're already doing, which is be a signpost. Uh, you know, I think for me, there are different levels of um, emotional and mental turmoil. And quite a lot of that, in a sense, can be addressed within the community. Uh, but there's also quite a lot of that that needs to be addressed by people who are more skilled, have more time, more experience, and more expertise. 
Uh, so quite often, if someone comes to talk to Sue or myself, we'll have a great chat, and then we'll say, actually, we want to refer you on uh, to so-and-so, and often that will be uh, an accredited counsellor who has the time and the experience uh, and uh, just the, the, the wherewithal uh, to provide more help uh, than we can. Uh, we are generalists, really, uh, rather than uh, experts uh, in this uh, field. Uh, when it comes to in a sense, stuff that Christchurch is doing, I, I think I don't want to underestimate the importance of culture change because I think in churches it has been very easy to feel that if you are struggling with mental and emotional health that you have failed uh, and the impression is that everybody else is fine around you and you're one of the very few uh, who is struggling. And I think for us to change that culture is actually really important and I think these two evenings have been um, a really helpful way of doing that. I think for me, the other thing we would say, it, it may sound trite, is that uh, we believe in the therapeutic value of community. And so therefore being part of a small group is a really important uh, thing because uh, that's where we can be alongside people that will love us, support us, listen to us, and be with us uh, over uh, the long term. So those are some of the places I'd start. Mm, great. And I think also we are the church, aren't we? It's not like we're the church, but we are the church. And so actually as we change and uh, look out and think practically, how am I practically helping those around me? Um, yeah, this is how we do it. Uh, and just a, a lovely example of that is dear Nick Duncan, um, one, a member of our congregation, um, amazing singer, trained singer and she um, has on her, on her heart to start a choir purely and simply for well-being. So anyone can join, you don't have to be able to sing well, you don't have any auditions, it's free, it's open to the whole community, it's not just a church thing. And she's felt, yeah, she's felt um, impassioned, if you like, to do that. And that to me is just a wonderful example of how we as the church are, yeah, um, being led by the Spirit to address this. Um, one more comment from Luke, and then we're going to... Sue's absolutely right. We're the church. This is not the responsibility of the, of the staff team. And, you know, you haven't got to go forward necessarily with an initiative like starting up a choir or whatever. It's all of our responsibilities. I think it's very easy for us to come into church and sit in the places where we like to sit and to sit with our friends... Um, uh, you can be phenomenally lonely in a congregation like this. You can come in and we can easily overlook that somebody may be like that and nobody speaks to them. I wonder whether sometimes it would be helpful if we came in and we mixed it up a bit and we sat in a different place and talked to somebody new. If we notice that somebody doesn't seem right um, and we got talking to people, that's the way to create a a sense of community and Sue's absolutely right about or Simon I think it was you said about small groups as well um, we are a big congregation but within small groups um, we can really begin to get real with one another and begin to share things thank you I am going to have to stop you there <laughs> uh, uh, wrestling back the mic um, just a couple of final comments and then just uh, some roundup things um, Somebody said to be treated as an equal by family and friends, so important. My, and somebody else said, my heart is that people would be more honest when they are anxious or low, so people could feel safe to share. So we hope and we thank you that that's happening. 
And there's one uh, quick, easy question. What puts a smile on your face each morning? <laughs> Do you want to? Cooking. Cooking. <laughs> he does it first thing in the morning as well. I think it's my dog. I think, I think they're really good for mental health, dogs. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say my do our dog as well, but um, I think just taking pleasure in really simple things. So we've put, we've put a bird feeder up in lockdown and just sitting and watching the birds through the windows, they are just amazing and they're Great. free, they're amazing. Great. So we are going to round up now. As I said at the beginning of the service, I really don't want this to be like the end of the conversation. We really want you to feel as though you can come to us and talk to us, send in, send in ideas, send in questions, particularly if you're somebody who's written uh, one of these questions and you don't feel as though you've had a good enough answer or you want to wrestle with it a bit more, please do get in touch uh, with myself. My, my email address is very easy. It's sue.collinson at ccwinch.org.uk. And Simon's is the same, just it says simon.cansdale. So, um, yes, do, or the office, of course, they will pass it on to us. Um, there were three other questions, um, but we aren't going to discuss them tonight, but I wanted you all to hear all of the questions. Um, this first one, actually, it was my beloved who wrote it, so we can ignore it. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. It is an important question, but it was, it's a whole massive big area. Uh, it's, he said, people are becoming increasingly aware of the impact of spiritual abuse on mental health. How does a church know when it's crossing a line between spiritual and spiritual abuse? So there is a really good book. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about that, then come and see me and uh, I will point you in the direction of a good book. Uh, but that, as I say, is a really important subject and absolutely do not want to just dismiss it, but it's just not for tonight. So um, obviously that involves safeguarding and if anyone ever has any concerns, absolutely shout them out. Um, the, the other one is another massive subject, and we're hoping to um, deal with this a bit more later. Is the church going to address structural issues and privilege in mental illness and poor mental health? I.e. mental health for a wealthy white person probably looks very different for that, from that for, uh, with, looks different than to a poorer person of color. As I say, really important question. And we will look at that hopefully when we look at social justice issues later on in the series. Um, if we don't, and if you want to say more about that or want people, us to say more about that, then um, absolutely come back to us. And then the last one is, can we offer the gift of salvation in exchange for that spirit of heaviness today or yeah, any time? Uh, and absolutely, when, when we, um, at the end of each service, we say that there are people who would love to pray with you. And that is just basically an invitation, an invitation to bring these things to Jesus. And I don't think, as we've said, it doesn't always happen instantaneously. We know that. But we know that through prayer, we can experience more of God's love. And that's what we and that's what strengthens us, isn't it? His love. Thank you all very, very much. I think we should give them a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you.
thank you. Nathan is going to just pray for us now. Thank you, Nate. And then after Nate's prayed for us, um, we're going to stand and worship again. Um, but again, I would just love to offer um, the chance of being prayed for, if any of you would like to do that. If, if things are going around your head and you just think, I'd love to just talk to someone about this or to receive prayer, then please do, um, during the worship or after the worship, uh, come up to this place here and there'll be people here ready to pray for you. But Nate, please, if you could lead us in some prayers.